This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's Aluma Trailers, North Dakota Tourism, Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today we're kicking off a brand new hunting season in Alaska, hunting ptarmigan and grouse in some of the most incredible country in North America. It's also some of the most punishing. My guests today, Eric Locker and Evan Withrow, will help you understand why. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host. Brandon Morton is our producer. Brandon is approximately 2,532 miles away from me right now, probably sipping coffee, being lazy, doing who knows what, watching YouTube. I don't know what he's doing back home. Meanwhile, I'm licking my wounds with two of the most incredible bird hunters I've ever shared a hunt with up in Alaska right now. Before I introduce our guest today, I do want to make an announcement, a very special invitation, actually, to each and every one of you. We're celebrating the start of hunting season by hosting a live podcast on Wednesday, September 21st at 7 p.m. at Bear Cave Brewing, which is located in Hopkins, Minnesota. Bear Cave Brewing. Brewery. Brewing. Am I making sense here, guys? Yeah. Yes. That's all right. We got it. Um, They are opening up their rooftop to us to host this show, and you can bring your dogs along. Ron Shera, Bill Shirk, Scott Franzen, and myself will be joining the show, so our entire cast of Flush hosts will be there. I think it'll be a lot of fun, and we hope that you agree with that and take the time to come out um, and talk hunting with us. On top of all of that... Uh, Bear Cave Brewing also has more than 50 taps featuring house-made craft beers, hard seltzers, cocktails, wines, and their Neapolitan-style pizzas. We haven't done a live show since Pheasant Fest, but honestly, it was a lot of fun. And uh, we hope you'll come out and celebrate the start of hunting season with us. Again, a live recording of the Flush podcast on Wednesday, September 21st at Bear Cave Brewing in Hopkins, Minnesota at 7 p.m., Grab a couple of your hunting buddies and come join us. We'll talk hunting, and you can be a part of this show. All right. You guys going to come down to the live show? I will watch it. <laughs> <laughs> you're, on, you're on now. And I did the math. I just pulled up the phone. 2,532 miles from, from my place right now. Like by road? By road, yeah. Okay. And according to maps on my phone, it would take two days and nine hours to get there if I didn't Without stop. stopping. Without stopping, <laughs> yeah. Checks it, out. It's amazing that, um, like you said yesterday when we were coming down the mountain, it's amazing that I was in Minnesota less than 24 hours, and now we're up on a mountain in Alaska hunting. Eric Locker and Evan Withrow are my guests today. Gentlemen, um, there's a lot of directions that we can go with this (laughs) podcast because we just put on... What did your what did your phone say? We we weren't sure if it was accurate on yours, but we we checked the steps, and I think yeah, I don't know how my mileage could possibly be accurate, but my mileage said I did forty 
or 43,000 steps. 43,000 steps. Did it, put, you ch- it put me at about 14, 14 and a half miles on the day. Okay. Well, you were slacking then because mine said 17,000 or 17 miles. I, I estimate a few of those were, you know, pre-hunt and post-hunt, um, which the like, okay, so the lodge owner here, Bob Letta at All Alaska Outdoors, that's where we're staying right now. We're in one of their... Uh, studios and we're in the middle of the woods it's raining out right now so we have time to lick our wounds as i mentioned earlier (laughs) um and bob was laughing this morning he's like you he goes as painful as everything went and how how it all went down you got to experience everything in alaska yesterday and top to bottom and i i laughed i was like bob absolutely he goes you'll never forget it i go i know i won't forget it i mean it was not quite 20 hours, but close to it. Yeah, 19 something. 19 hours we start gone. to finish yesterday because <laughs> you guys blow up roads in Alaska. Yep. I don't, with dynamite. With dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> and there's only one road. And, and there's, there's only, only one, one road. road in. And we were just minutes away from making it through before the blast. And we didn't, and they wouldn't let us cross through this road to get back. So it extended our entire adventure yesterday by four hours. I would say, yeah, four. I thought close to five, probably close to five um, hours. So we'll we'll get into the uh, adventure throughout the show, but we're filming a television show. It's the first episode of the new season. Um, and I don't want to give away all of, you know, we're not going to go into details about every single thing that happened because it's worth waiting for. And I think yesterday, Eric, I looked at you and I said, this, I, this may end up being one of the best upland bird hunting shows that we ever air or we ever put on because we were just riding a high at that moment. We had just had, your dogs were just on some of the most beautiful points and Somewhere in the neighborhood, it's hard to estimate, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 ptarmigan got out of one patch of willows that they kind of all were using. And we were just in some of the most incredible country that you could ever upland bird hunt. So it's it's yet to be seen what the camera captured, but... uh, I, I'm just really excited about being able to get back and take a look at it and see what we documented there, which is part of the fun for me as a television producer. But the other part is just experiencing it. And this is this is home for you. So, um, Eric, quickly tell us a little bit of your uh, hunting backstory, where we are now and how you got here. Okay. I grew up hunting in Iowa. I was born and raised there. I remember specifically hunting pheasants and being able to carry around a shotgun when I was eight years old. I shot my first rooster when I was 12 and uh, just grew up hunting there, bird hunting. And uh, in 2017, uh, January of 2017, we moved to Alaska and I shot ptarmigan and grouse with a rifle, just like a good old Alaskan would do. And uh, just didn't seem the same. And so just because of business of life and having kids, it kind of gave up bird hunting for a few years. And then on a big game hunt, seeing a ton of ptarmigan, I was finally like, I cannot. It was a caribou hunt. Caribou hunt, okay. And I was like, I I can't do this anymore. I got to start bird hunting again. (laughs) And so I climbed up a mountain and shot ptarmigan and posted on Instagram. And 
Evan over here was like, hey, we should go ptarmigan hunting sometime. And I was like, that sounds great. Evan, how did you get started? Because you're you're a relatively new bird hunter. Yeah, so 2020 is when I got my dog. Junie. Junie, yeah, little juniper. And uh, I had, uh, you know, done the whole... Uh, ground pounding spruce grouse out of the ditches as a kid. Um, didn't, <laughs> you're, you're, this is home for you. Yeah, your whole bo- born and raised, right? Yep. And then sometime in college, I got swindled into fly fishing and went down the rabbit hole there. And my buddy, he, uh, you know, he would, he kind of introduced me to fly fishing and he, during the fall, he was always bird hunting and I'd always make fun of him for bird hunting because I wanted to go fly fishing. And it's like fall, like that's the time of the year to go catch trout. Like, and, uh, finally, um, I got to a position in my life where I was ready to get a dog and, and I knew nothing about upland bird hunting other than you had to walk a lot of miles, which sounded terrible at the time, still kind of does from day to day. But, uh, I, I got a dog, I got a short hair, um, knew nothing about pointing dogs. I, th- I got a short hair because of an old lab we had that was she's just this sleek, American black lab with a great nose and, and I wanted something kind of that style and went with a pointing dog. And I was like, well, if I'm going to get a pointing dog, I got to let the dog point and, mm-hmm. and just started throwing darts at a map and chasing ptarmigan and the rest is history. So we were talking about this yesterday. I feel like <clears throat> the people that I've talked to that have hunted big game or just live in Alaska, top to bottom, up to hall road down, Kenai Peninsula, you know, it doesn't seem to matter. They're all like, oh, yeah, ptarmigan are all over the place, you know, and it's just a matter of if if you're willing to walk in or where you can get to. So that's the big thing is you have to get to the habitat that they use. And so some people, they don't have to walk very far. You guys, on the other hand, <laughs> probably walk further than most most bird hunters would, I mean, they would do it one time and say, all right, I did it. I'm done. Check it off the list. Check it off the list. You guys check it off the list like several times a week. <laughs> right now we are. <laughs> we, uh, we complain and cause it's most of the season is in the, most of the season is in the winter time. And we always complain about like, we can't wait to walk on hard ground. Like once the fall comes back around, yeah. like we are going to burn as many miles as we can on hard ground because walking in the snow sucks. So how many, uh, weeks into the season are we and how many miles have you put on that you've tracked we are just about we're 28 days into the season and uh, I have not kept track since 10 days into the season but 10 days into the season I had 63 miles on on your boots just on my boots yeah and how about Mav your dog oh boy well he did 38 the first day and then I gave him a week break after that and then he did 27 the next two days, after, or not two days in a row, but next two trips. So whatever that adds up to in the first 10 days. But it's, a lot of miles. It, and it's it's not easy. I mean, I'm, I don't think there's an easy mile that a dog can put on when they're hunting birds, whether it's pheasants and cattails. I mean, every terrain kind of beats up your dogs in their own way. But, but here I think it's probably more the pads on their feet because yes. when they're running up and down, I mean, is that is that the biggest challenge that you guys face with keeping your dogs on the ground is there pads or is there something else yeah well the problem that we have is um like the dogs will not stay off of stuff so like if i had my way i would be like maverick don't go on those rocks like Mm -hmm. stay on the soft tundra yeah but if there's birds sent up there he's gonna go up there and tear up his 
his paws and he that's what I'm struggling with right now is just keeping his his paws healthy and he just gets really tender feet you know yeah, after they, each they walk around real gingerly the next day just kind of high stepping and tiptoeing around I'm guessing they're curled up in the fetal position right now yeah definitely oh, Junie's under my covers on my bed right and now for we, sure we've tossed around the idea of like using dog boots and things like that but uh you saw the steepness of what yeah. we're hunting like we don't they lose grip when you when you get those kind of things and um also they're not going to get their pads tough if we keep booting them up so it's kind of this yeah. learn as we go to kind we of use, thing. we use boots as like a once they open up a paw then we put the boots on and i the first the so my second third and fourth hunt i think this year i had junie's two front paws booted just because and it didn't make a difference to her she doesn't notice it but it's once they open them up, you want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to make it any worse, you know? How about you? Um, how do you prepare? Because we have to, I mean, you mentioned something like Alaska wants to kill you, right? Or what did you right, say yeah. before? Alaska tries to kill you. Yeah. All the time. All times of the day. Every day of the year. Yeah, we, um, you know, there's not many places that I go where I have to think about things like, okay, if a grizzly charges me, what's my plan here? You know, what is my first... I, my my um, <clears throat> GPS holder on my uh, vest was replaced with bear spray, you know. Yeah. And, I'm, and a couple times, like there was one time yesterday where you stopped and you just kind of like, I don't know if it was just sinking in, but there was somebody had a bear spray can that you picked up, and it had bite marks through the can. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's the first time I ever found an empty can of bear spray. And I just looked at it and where we were. Yeah. And we were just, you know, choked <laughs> in the alders. And here's this dented in can with poke marks in it. And it's like, did this person fall on their bear spray and hit a rock and they got sprayed? <laughs> <laughs> or did they use it yeah. and a bear got it and bit into it? Or did somebody lose it and then a bear found it and then bit into it and he got sprayed? I don't know. It's one of those things. It's a mystery too. And you're so far away from anything that it makes you really think, what would what would I do? First of all, you both have inreach. Yep. Yeah. That's a must. Yeah. Uh, and explain inreach to somebody that doesn't know what that is. An inreach is a, a Garmin product that um, you can text uh, it's like a satellite phone. Yeah, it's a satellite phone, but it's a satellite texter. You can't call on it. And there's also an SOS button. So if you really get in trouble where you can't get somebody out, you can push the SOS and a helicopter will come get you. But it's super handy to have to just let your family know that you're doing okay, mm-hmm. that you're running late, not mm-hmm. to send out a search party. My policy is if there's two of us, then there's two inreaches. Um, a minimum of two minimum because you've of been two. on a hunt before where you didn't have it. Yeah, if, if one... You only had one. If the battery died on one yep. or uh, in my case, uh, the guy that I was with, he didn't sink his right, so it was a paperweight and we couldn't call home and our family's worried about us. Um, obviously, um, we try not to hunt alone. If I do, I try to do it in a place that it's not like in the middle of nowhere. And then, then Le- less, <laughs> less in the middle of nowhere. Less than, I was going to say, where would you go here that's not in the middle of nowhere? I don't know if there's a place. Well, yeah, that's probably true. Well, then to kind of go back to the bear thing, 
So when your curiosity got the best of you, Travis, yeah, and we realized that that tan looking rock thing that we thought might be a dead thing turned out to actually be a, a dead bear that yeah. uh, hunters had killed. Well, you were 30 yards, 40 yards, like jogging up to this thing. And me and Eric are like, Oh, like we, that's not a good thing to walk up to. Like walking up to a dead animal in the alders. Oh my no gosh. We, we were like, it was like, <laughs> I don't know if Travis, you heard wait, me wait, wait, put one in the pipe I know, I after that. Say, hold on a second. Let me come with you. Yeah. But I had clear vision of everything around and there was nothing thick that I thought anything could be hiding in. So I felt comfortable doing that. But it looked, I looked at it four different times and we went up and down a couple mountains or a couple of, um, I don't know, ridges or whatever in the mountains. Everything's a mountains. But um, I saw this thing and I'm like, guys, that is not like that's an, that is something that was living. And I, I think I told you, it looks like a dead, bloated pig. Yeah. And yeah. that's was, about as close as you can get to a dead, bloated pig <laughs> yeah. in Alaska. Trichinosis and everything, man. Dang. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, after eating lunch, uh, I just couldn't take it. I had to walk over and take a closer look. And sure enough, somebody had shot, would it have been a grizzly or would yeah. it a brown bear? Yeah. And when yesterday, so I'll, I'll step back just a little bit. Um, yesterday morning, we did something that, Evan, you've never done. And Eric, you've only done twice now? Yeah, three done, times. this would have been my fifth flight. Okay, fifth flight. So <laughs> I'm learning really quickly, you know, and I've, I've never hunted in Alaska myself. I filmed up here one other time like 10 years ago, but I was not hunting. And it was completely different situation, scenario, conditions, everything. Every, everything you plan on has to have a backup plan. And then that backup plan needs to have a backup plan. And then you have to have another plan in case that one doesn't happen. Because we had this beautiful plan yesterday. Yep. Bob Letta, he's been a bush pilot up here for, what do you say, 25 years? 27 years. Yeah. 27 yeah. years. And so he's flying us into this remote lake, which saves about seven-ish to six to ten miles of hiking up a mountain to get where you need to go depending on which lake you would go into. But the problem is we had a short window to fly in, but the weather was going to change drastically to the point that we wouldn't be able to fly back out. So the plan was to, Bob's like, I will take you there. Are you confident that you can get out? Yep. And you guys are both like, we're ready for this. And I'm excited about it because I love a good adventure. I do feel bad for Pete. <laughs> Cameraman beat. Uh poor guy. He, if he could right now, he'd be in the fetal position just like the puppies. But um he agreed to it. And so we landed and then Bob flew away. You know, the Alaska taxi took off. And here yep. we are. Good luck, guys. In the middle of nowhere yep. in Alaska. And there are, you know, obviously a lot of ptarmigan in this area. Your confidence was very high. Ours was also high when we were trying to gear up and ptarmigan, the dogs were on point before we even had our vests on our back. Um, and it, from there, it was just a day that I will never forget. Neither will we. You also packed in, um, and I don't know if this is something that you'll do more often now, but we were laughing about how amazing our lunch was yesterday because I've talked about this on the on the show a couple times. 
when you harvest something in the field and then you're able to eat it, prepare it out there in the field, it will never taste better than that moment there. You know, so we're a few miles in and a couple dozen flights of stairs that we've climbed up and down mountains to get them. And we had uh, quite a few birds in the pouch and we, we cleaned them and we ate them out there. Yeah, it was awesome. We, I have had a jet boil for years and you can get one of those lightweight jet boil fry pans. And, uh, I, I've never brought it into the back country until last year we did a fly in bear hunt and I brought it with me and had the little jet boil adapter to put the, the pan on there. And I was like, man, this is the best time we can have ever had. It was and so good. We just did it so simply. We just had olive oil, seasoned salt and the ptarmigan. And that was Did it. you mix anything with the seasoned salt? No, that's just regular Johnny seasoned salt. Just regular. So you had just a tiny little container of olive oil and a tiny container in yep. this little fold-up uh, skillet. And yep. Like, it was just, oh, gosh, it was so good. We we fried up five, four, four? Uh, four birds. We should have fried eight. Yes. We would have ate them all. We, we would have ate them all. Yep. But then the rain came in. And then you start getting <laughs> cold. And it's like, we got to move. We got to go. The wind was blowing. The wind was howling. <laughs> the front was coming in. And we're like, we're a long ways away. And it's like, all right, that'll do. Um, yeah, because that's the, that was the furthest point away from the, the truck that may or may not show up for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So... Um, I think we mentioned this already, and I'm not going to go into too much more detail about our particular day yesterday. We still have a couple days left. This adventure is just beginning. I'm, I'm obviously, if you can't tell from my excitement, I'm, or from my voice, I'm excited about what's to come yet. Um, we don't know what, what it'll be because we have about 10 plans, and right now it's raining, and we can't film in downpour rain. So there's a chance we can get a break and experience a little bit more of this amazing place that you guys live. But we did make it out. Originally, we had your father, yep. Evan, was planning to pick us up at 6. Yep. Then you texted him on the inReach. Multiple times. Make it 6.30. <laughs> make it 7. The uh, trail just, we would walk three miles, and then the, we would still be the same distance away from the truck. Like, it just was never ending, I felt like. Yeah. Uh, we eventually got out. Around eight, eight o'clock on the dot, because that's and when the road closed. Yeah. That's when the road closed, and we had no idea, no clue, no clue, because we did not travel by road to get in. We traveled by airplane, and so your dad's like, "We got to go now." Get and in the truck, put yourself in the truck. We got to go. We got to go. I wish he, I wish he would have like sent an inreach message that says, "Hey." Uh, I found out road closes at Pick eight. It up. I need <laughs> you. Been I, yeah, put that it's, on it's your his, dad. That's we not can, our fault. We can totally blame him for it. He's yes. going to be mad about that, but, but like, that's okay. Who gets online before you go walk a trail and says, "Let me just make sure the road doesn't close today." <laughs> I know. There's so many factors that we were already trying to. And the the only reason is because we took a float plane, and if we had would have drove in there, we would have seen the signs, mm-hmm. and we would have been like, "Oh, we have to be back here by seven thirty, or else we're stuck." And we would have known that. Yes, exactly. We just so, had no idea. We rolled back in to this lodge. I did last night at 1.30 a.m., 4.30 my time. And I finally was able to text my wife that I'm, I made it back. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, having the inReach, there was a point last night at about 7.30 mm-hmm. where I realized, oh, Travis, you're an idiot. You, I told my wife we're flying into a remote lake. Pray for us that we land because my last fly-in in Alaska, I thought I was going to die. The plane <laughs> did a 360, and we went through unbelievable conditions to get where we were going. So I was nervous going into it. And so 
I didn't talk to her all day. She had no clue if we made it, if we didn't, if a bear got us, you know, and then I'm walking and go, it's 1030 at night. She's probably trying to sleep right now. And I haven't checked in at all. So I sent her a message and then I come to find out she, no, none of the messages she sent me, because I was obviously without service when I got back, was nothing about, hey, are you okay? <laughs> it was about everything else. And then she said, thanks for checking in. Love you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. but that, I mean, that just shows you like, I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere, no service, and I was able to text, a, you were able to text a random number, yeah. um, and it got the message sent out. I got a reply back in two minutes, maybe five minutes. Yeah, and we were in the trees, too. We were in the trees, super overcast. I don't know how much all that affects the GPS signal, but... You I, have a newer model than mine, and it, it gets out text way faster than does mine. It? I, need to, I need to get a new one. Hey everybody, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. It's time to plan your fall hunt in North Dakota. Get this, with an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks, North Dakota's central region is prime habitat for hunting waterfowl. In fact, right now, the state's breeding duck index sits 38% above the long-term average. And the water's up, too. The spring water index is up 616% over 2021. That's a good thing. Now, when you consider that North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting, guess what? You've got an outdoor oasis. For the latest information about public hunting lands and private land open to sportsmen and women, visit North Dakota Game and Fish Department. Bag your limit in fall. Bag your limit this fall in North Dakota. Visit legendarynd.com. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. The app also shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land or federal lands or walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during the hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. And there's a timber cut layer to help you find the right forest habitat for rough grouse. If you hunt in North Dakota, there's even a layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx apps give you. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx maps always help you to know where you stand. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. So the one day that we spent together is already going to be something that I'm going to remember forever. I'm excited for that television show. Um, hopefully we're able to share that experience. The goal of our, of this podcast is always to kind of entertain people to educate. You know, it's the same thing with the TV show and we want to entertain, we want to educate and show people what's out there. 
you two are out there more than most people. Um, we talked about the miles that you put on, but just to get where you're going, it's hard to really grasp the effort that goes into it. You know, I have been on a few different, you know, from chucker hunting to last year ptarmigan hunting in Colorado, up in, you know, that high elevation. Here, you're only, at, you know, from sea level to like 3,000 feet, roughly. We'll, at the we'll top out about four. Top out at four. Yeah. Which is still, I mean, that's a legit hike to get to those points. When you're, when you're going up at a, I don't know, 45 degree angle or higher, steeper. It doesn't matter. It's tiring right, you regardless. You feel the burn in your legs, but you don't feel the burn in your lungs as much. Yeah, as like exactly. high elevation in Colorado. What keeps you two going that you, because I, I would say there's not that many people that go out continuously like you two do. And like I said, I think they would do it once. And then when they got back, they'd say, oh, wow, I think that was good. I'm good with yeah. it. There's, Why do you keep going? The the one t- thing that, especially with me and Eric, is there's a time on every single hunt where we will, uh, you know, we'll maybe have a couple birds in the bag. You know, we'll we'll just maybe shot a bird and we'll sit down on a mountainside and just like look at where we are and we're like, this is the coolest thing ever, and it yeah. never stops being cool. And it's just, I don't know what the feeling is, but it's it's spectacular. And then you have the dogs too. Yeah. Well, I mean, just the the places that ptarmigan are and take you are just the most remarkable landscapes that you could ever been in. Be in. And sometimes you get your nose to the grindstone and you're trudging up the mountain and you're not looking behind you. And then all of a sudden you stop and turn around. And you're like, Oh my goodness, this is the coolest place I've ever been. And for me, I had been on several big game hunts and the only way to make it work was to go like one week out of the year or maybe 10 days out of the year. And I'm like, this is just not scratching. One big game hunt. Yeah. yeah. This is just not scratching the hunting itch. I mean, I'm used to hunting growing up every single weekend of hunting season. And I'm like, I got to find something to get me out into the outdoors. Like here we live in this really cool place and I'm never getting out and enjoying it. And I, I mean, I learned how to fish and fished a bunch on the river, but that's not hunting. Yeah. And uh, it was finally that that fly-in caribou hunt that I saw ptarmigan everywhere there. I'm like, this might be my opportunity to hunt more often and enjoy these things. And and now it's turned into taking other people to enjoy things. And I think I've seen like six people shoot their first, well, now seven people With shoot me? their first ptarmigan yeah. this year and share the experience with them. And it's just really neat. Yeah, I mean... Yesterday, I was able to harvest uh, willow, willow ptarmigan were obviously the most common, but we did get into whitetails. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> spoiler alert, I, I got two different species of ptarmigan yesterday, which I consider just an amazing, uh, amazing opportunity, amazing feat. I mean, I don't take that for granted to be here, obviously. I mean, I'm, I'm doing my job by producing these shows, but for me personally, it's just like, oh, I sometimes just have to pinch myself and say... Look at where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Like you guys, I'm always just excited. You know, yesterday I climbed that one mountain. I didn't have to do that. I got up on top. My knees started to shake because I, I expected <laughs> to, that it would, you know, be like a gradual. When I got to the top, it was a straight drop. And just I don't a know, little knife edge. It was a knife. Yeah, exactly. And part of me started, my knees started to shake and, and I was holding on to some plants. I don't even know what they're called, that, that spot. But I thought, 
what if the roots aren't very strong? <laughs> I'm going down, you know? And, but then there's a, there's, um, uh, not an iceberg, uh, a glacier, a glacier, a glacier right? mountain goats, goats, right mountain there. goats were watching and a glacier. And I just stopped and I thought, man, and, and I think the reason I bring this up is if you ever have the opportunity to go on something like a adventure that we were on yesterday, and I get it, like it's not feasible for everybody in every season of life, but if you ever have the opportunity to do something like that, challenge yourself and do it. I am afraid of heights, and yet I still climbed to the top of that thing, and I stood there for a moment, and I took a, a look around, and I was just, I was like an out-of-body experience almost, you know? And I would be like you guys. I would keep going and hunting these places and finding more and more. And I told you back home, it's a night and day experience, you know, when we're hunting pheasants. There's almost like no characteristic. It's flat. You're looking for a thicker chunk of willows and cattails to find pheasants in, you know? But... um. I typically don't go to the same place twice if I'm just hunting by myself, unless I'm taking somebody out that I want to make sure has a good experience. Then I'll go to a place I've been. Otherwise, I like to find something new. I I live for it. So yesterday, you know, being in these places, I get why you guys do it. And I I felt like, you know, if I moved up here, I would be calling you guys a couple times a week to, let's go, you know, let's go do it. The The one thing too is, you know, like you were saying, these adventures aren't for everybody. And, you know, they're spectacular, but there's so much suckiness involved with them. Like, there is a lot of pain. <laughs> it you know, hurts I've so good. I've come off with bleeding feet and, you know, sore traps and, you know, dehydrated and puking. And, like, five days later after that hunt, the only thing that's left in your brain is how awesome the experience was. And, like, you barely even remember the parts that sucked. Like... Yeah. In the moment, it's horrible. Like on that hike out when we were just all miserable, like we won't remember that. Like you'll remember. I already forgot it. Uh, yeah. Right? I don't know if Pete's going to forget it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we were wet. That doesn't help anything. Nah, you guys yeah. haven't had a break in the rain up here for about two months. We've had three semi-sunny days. We've hunted two of them, which has been like nice. Like since July 10th. Yeah. Dang. So let's it's like the, get it's like, into... It's like the wettest... It's like the wettest uh, August and 30 something years for Anchorage. Let's get into what it takes to, to go on one of these journeys. Um, you guys yesterday, you tried wearing a hunting vest for the first time this season. Yep. Typically you have a pack. Um, why a pack? What's in it? Um, and what are you preparing for? Yeah. So I, I bought my first hunting pack, um, 12 years ago and, I did a ton of research trying to decide what I wanted to get because I wanted to be able to use it for everything. I knew I'd probably be going on some elk hunts in my life and things like that when I still lived in Iowa. So I got a backpack that is a 2,500 cubic inch backpack um, to start, and it's got a, a rifle scabbard in the back. And I thought, that's really cool. Like if you shoot an animal... Then you can put your gun in there. You don't have to worry about slinging it, carrying it. And then it unzips and doubles in size. So then it's 5,000. So um, you go, I think the, the manufacturer is saying is go in light, come out heavy. And so you unzip that thing. You can put a quarter in there. 
and then I'll put all your equipment in there. And so I'm like, that's the backpack I want to get. And I want to use that as long as I can. So it's the only backpack I've ever owned. And I had no idea how perfect that backpack would be for ptarmigan hunting because you're going up the mountain and you want your hands either to be grabbing rocks or branches or, or using walking sticks and you don't want that gun in your hand and you don't want to fall on your gun and scratch it up on the rocks or whatever and so i've just always been used to now for using that scabbard and now i've got a system down like the scabbard goes or the the gun goes in the scabbard on the way up i've got my hiking sticks on the way up pistol in front though pistol in front yep so that it's easily accessible not going to get caught anything i mean you're you're not gonna make it work if it's in your backpack you can't get to it fast enough it happens in a blink of an eye if a bear comes out so then uh, when we get up to where we're hunting i take the gun out of the the gun sleeve and then put my walking sticks in the scabbard where my gun just was and it works out really great inside my backpack i've got anything that you would need just in case something really went down and what's nice about that backpack now that we have dogs is like if the dog really got hurt, like tore an ACL or, um, you know, really got injured, you could put the dog in the backpack and walk the dog out. Yeah. I think that's always in the back of your mind. At least it was in mine yesterday. Um, Pete's carrying around a camera on his shoulder, you know, and we're hiking up and down and it's rugged, it's jagged, it's slippery. And, Tyler Webster, our mutual friend, Tyler was up here and he fell and, and he cracked a rib a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, and another friend, Dylan Waller, he was up here. He sprained an ankle, you know, and I'm like, you guys are just dropping these hunters left and right. I want to make sure that yeah, it's good, you know, that I'm. They definitely got the short end of this stick. All that happened to us was we got stuck behind road construction, <laughs> <laughs> road that got blown up. Yeah. Um, but it, it, stays in the back of your mind what would you do if something happens so in your bag what do you carry as far as first aid i've got a little first aid kit that um like you know we could stop bleeding and um bandage something up um we've been talking about getting like stitching stuff for staple guns our dogs Mm -hmm. and for for us um, I do have a, a few things like it, I've never stitched anything up, but I have the stuff just in case. You got to do a re- <laughs> you got to watch some YouTube videos yeah, before. Yeah. And I, I was fortunate that I I've stitched my dog before, and then I also went in with my vet and had her show me the right way to do it, awesome. so that I yeah, know we need to do next that. time I can I can sew up anybody's dog if it comes yeah. to it. Now that I've seen it, I carry a little razor with, but weight is a major thing. I would you wouldn't want to carry any extra weight that you're climbing up a mountain with so right you know the bare essentials is what you want but Pun, also unintended yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah i mean you i always take a gun and if somebody wants to bring bear spray that's great but i won't go out without a gun uh, a handgun with mm-hmm. bear loads in it um let's talk about that for a second so have you ever had to use it or been close to using it i've had my handgun out three times and never had to fire around the the first time was within three months of living here (laughs) like probably a hundred yards from my house 
uh, there's a so trail. you wear it day to, like on a well, daily basis. Well, that's what's interesting is I normally wouldn't, but like I was still learning the lay of the land, and I'm like, uh, one of my buddies is like, hey, I want to go for a run. Um, can I go on the trails? And I was like, I'll, I'll go with you. So I strapped on my 10 millimeter, and they make this sweet holster. Gunfighter Inc. does that's a Kenai chest holster. It's named after the Kenai. And it's, there's no straps, nothing. It's just Kydex, and it fits in there perfect. And so it locks in really good, but you just pull it out. There's, you don't have to fight with anything. And uh, we had been running for like three minutes, and all of a sudden we hear crashing 40 yards out, and here comes this brown bear just running right for us. And thankfully it was 40 yards, not 10 yards. Yeah. So we're like, oh, no. And so he got beside me. We tried to look big. I got the gun out. And I'm like, hey, don't come here. And I'm talking to the bear, and he's just still coming right for us. And then there's this little incline, and he was about to come up toward us. And I'm pulling the first part of the Glock trigger to shoot him. And he looked me square in the eye and just 90 away from us. And it was just like dirt flying everywhere. It was crazy. Wow. Were you just shaking? Yeah. I was like, is this really what it's going to be like living here? Like, and how I, do I let my kids out? Exactly. Maybe we were right next to the house. And uh, in that same area, they come through about once a year. Like, we'll either see the bear or we'll see the tracks. And who knows? Maybe it's the same bear every year. But I've never had an encounter like that. Last April, we were out fishing on the Kenai. And uh, we were walking up. And all of a sudden, there's a bear at 40 yards just walking super slow across the trail and whenever the bear is not running you know that it's a bear that does not care about you because he knew that you were there way before and those are the bears to be kind of worried about because you know he might you know get around you and be like oh hey what's going on over here was that that same bear that you think up at oh uh, well yeah you it, think it, cause, it was cause, so because that bear got shot at yeah so we we had seen that bear on the trail and we just made we watched it walk away uh me and my buddy and we got to the river and there were some people standing there right where the trail comes out of the river and they were like we were going to tell them hey there's a bear there just on while you're on your way out make sure you're watching and right before we were about to ask him that they were like did you guys see that bear <laughs> so they had actually been walking down the trail toward us saw the bear it charged them no. and they didn't have a gun and thankfully, it didn't attack. And they were like yelling at it, stood up on two legs. And, oh, man. And they were like, we're not going back on that. They were so spooked, they asked a boat for a ride back. And <laughs> Can you blame them? No. Uh, my, my buddy, like a day or two before, I'm, I'm assuming it's the same Probably. bear. Um, he, thankfully, he, he's got a Munster lander, and uh, the dog started going crazy while he was fishing. He's like, why is my dog going crazy? Turn around, this bear was coming at me. He fired a warning shot at its feet at like 15 yards, 20 yards. Yeah, scary stuff. And I don't know the people um, that that you know that just got charged like last week by a, a black bear. Oh, it was and, it was them. Was it them? Yeah, yeah. So, a, but a different bear. Right? A different. But this, yeah, this is yeah. This was like last week. Last week they had their dogs out for a walk, and um, she had a video that she posted of her she thought she saw lynx up ahead and the dogs were checking it out and she had the idea to get her bear spray out just in case and so she had her phone up she's going to video this lynx and here comes a, a bear right after their dogs just went chasing after the dogs 
Holy but cow. But the whole, everything, the bear, all the dogs, and them all got bear sprayed because yep. the wind was blowing back in their face. Oh, my goodness. That is so fast. So fast. And that was right here. I, I mean, wish I could, I wish you could see how fast that bear came charging in. So, it obviously, it's self-defense. I mean, it's your life or the bears. It, what happens once you pull the trigger? Is it you just call game and fish? Yeah, you call fish and game and... As far as I understand, I've never had to do it. Um, they call it DLP bears, defensive life and property. Yeah. And it it's not that much rigmarole that you have to go through to to deal with it. They, Aren't a they, lot of times they'll have you skin it and, you know, salvage whatever you're supposed to legally if you were to be hunting the bear. And it's it's you don't get in trouble for doing it. I've heard they're pretty uh, stingy about like proving that it was DLP. I think they probably are. Yeah. yeah. In that, I mean, that video right there, you, oh, absolutely. if that was instead of the bear spray, if that was a gun that you used to protect, I mean, obviously it was charging so fast. And that's, yeah. and that's the thing that, that I need to be better at. And probably everybody that carries a handgun is like, you carry this handgun. Would, would I have been able to effectively pull a gun and shoot that bear? I don't think I have full confidence in that I would have. Like I, I'm not that proficient with the handguns. Like that's something that needs to be done more often because people carry a handgun. They're like, I I got a gun. I'm fine. But it happens so quick, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking we've been talking about it a little bit is like when we go and shoot skeet before the season starts, like we need to go shoot our handguns too, to make sure that we can hit something. (laughs) You have so much more to think about up here than the average pheasant hunter back home. It's unbelievable. So somebody listening might say, nope, I'm out. I don't want that risk. Unless you see that it's worth it. And for the record, I have never seen a bear while bird hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, I think part of that is because I have full conversations with my dog while I'm hiking or conversations with Eric and we talk loud and we laugh and joke and just try to use that as our, cause they know you're there. They know you're there way before yeah. you know they're there. Yep. Um, and so I think if you just, you know, respect mother nature and, you know, you know, respect the bears, like you will never have any issues. Let's hope that's the case. I hope you guys never have any issues out there, but we didn't stop talking loudly Everywhere yeah. we were yesterday. I know I know when you were filming, I was like, I just I just talk all the time when I'm hiking and I was like, wait, crap, Travis is filming. I should probably shut up for once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> then oh. we explained why we talk so much. <laughs> yes, it makes total sense. There were a few times where I came up over, you know, like really thick patch, and I thought to myself, you know, there's there's blueberries here that the bears are obviously eating. There could easily be one on the other side here. And I just would like look down and how accessible is the bear spray. I don't anticipate it happening, but I I knew that I would have a second or two to make a, a move on that. How effective is the bear spray? I mean, if if you think about it, the bear spray can be pretty effective, like in that video that we just showed yeah, you. That was like perfect. Like, it's a huge fog of spray that the bear is going to inevitably run through. Unlike you're when you're shooting, you've one. got one projectile going after that thing and hopefully it hits the bear in the right spot. It was kind of, I would recommend to somebody to do a YouTube video search on a bear spray attack or whatever mm-hmm. to see what it looks like, see how fast they come, see what the actual spray, because that, just watching that video, Not helped, far. it doesn't look fun, but it also helped me realize, because I was wondering, you're like, I asked you before we started hunting yesterday, 
Like, what, what, at what point am I shooting this? How long will the spray last? How close does a bear need to be to be hit? What's it going to look like when it comes out? Right. And, and you kind of described it because you said you shot the bear spray before. Yeah, or? I practiced it because I wanted to see what it looked like. This was, I mean, probably 12 years ago that I, I went on a trip to Yellowstone one time and I, you can't, at that time, you couldn't even take a handgun into Yellowstone and I was like, I want to know what this stuff mm. looks like. Does it come out in a little shoot in a line? Yeah, or like the silly putty string or this way or whatever. But like, if you think about it, it says effective range, 30 feet. And you're like, 30 feet? Okay, that's not bad. And then you're like, start measuring that's in yards. That's 10 yards. Uh, yeah, that's 10 steps. <laughs> yeah, That's not very far. Uh, so like, that bear's moving however fast it is. 30 and miles an hour. You need or to wait to shoot it until that bear is 30 <laughs> feet away, 10 yards. Like, you got to be in a huge trouble. And the thing that I don't like to carry it up here is because, especially when we're bird hunting, the wind is always blowing up there. And you know how it was just trying to get the dogs to work into the wind. Like, mm -hmm. the terrain just doesn't work out to make it happen. So you can't control anything about a bear attack. Mm -hmm. like the odds of the wind being right where you are the moment you need to use that bear spray are about this much. All right, so we're done scaring people. Let's, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> the flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good for life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog Daisy. Nutrisource high performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything, for your everyday cooking and wild game processing needs. Plus, they have experts on staff to help you learn how to use those products to get the best results. John Tremblay hosts their MeatGistics podcast, live streams and live chats, which are interactive learning tools for the meat processing community. If you have questions, John and his team have the answers, from sausage making to smoking, recipes to seasonings, and so much more. Walton's products ship the same day you order. They have over 5,000 items in stock from grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, woo, and a whole lot more. Order the same seasonings and supplies that professionals use from the best name in the wild game processing industry. Then sign up for their monthly giveaways. Walton's, they have everything but the meat. So that's just one thing that's running through your mind when you're up here in this bush country. It's remote. Um, you're far away. You've got the in-reach. You've got a big pack. You're not, you didn't even wear a hunting vest. You just wore this big pack. Yep. Uh, change of clothes, a lighter. Um, rain like, gear. Rain gear. Yep. I had, 
in my pack, I had, um, and I had a hunting vest yesterday. I wore my Chief Upland vest, and um, I I would like to talk to Jake and say, if, you, if you're going to make another one, let's modify an option for people to, um, like you were saying, mm-hmm. you, you know, there's there's so few people that would need it, but yesterday, just to have double that back pouch, which is awesome, and I would, I almost never fill that up. Yesterday, I wanted a bigger version of that just because I wanted to have an extra rain set that I didn't, when it wasn't raining, I wanted to take it off, but yet I needed it with um, because of, it's just changing conditions. I mean, so, so rapidly changing. And you got to see it in like the, the best, like it changed so quick. It went you from saw a, every aspect except for snow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was yeah. from sunny and clear. To, and it, we I couldn't mean, see 50 yards one you time. You guys got nervous that I was lost at one point yesterday. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're gone, and we're like, Travis? <laughs> Marco. Travis. <laughs> Evan goes, Marco, and you didn't yell pull. I, like, I was like, well, oh, shoot. he's gone, boys. <laughs> let's just fly back. Pete, leave him. Let's go. <laughs> and then I came out of the fog. Yeah. Like that's good. That's super, such a cool a shot. Super hunting hero. So we said we said we said super hunting villain. Oh, it was yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I all of a sudden I'm walking and and in my mind for a split second I knew the direction you were going, and I knew where I needed to get to, but yeah, the fog had set in so thick, and I'm like, well, <clears throat> if they're not over this hill, I started thinking, which way am I going to go? <laughs> you know, and I came over the top of it, and as I kept walking further and further ahead. I started seeing three outlines, you know, three shadows through the through the fog, and and I was like, oh, there they are. Yeah. Well, I mean, just thinking about, um, it's not as hard for me in the mountains to get around because I mean, you can see where you came from, you can mm-hmm. see the mountain ranges, and you get familiar with it. But like yesterday, super important to download the the offline maps for yes. Onyx. I was going to get to that. If yeah. you if you didn't and you got chalked in and you just spun around to shoot a bird and you went and retrieved the bird and all of a sudden you're like what oh, which way was i going yeah like if you didn't download that map if I, if I hadn't been in that spot before i would have been significantly more nervous i'd because like where the trail was I'd, I'd been in that general area before so i kind of knew what i was looking for but mm-hmm. i was like kind of driving by braille like but I, that's the first time i've ever been chalked in like that and were you nervous then yesterday? I wasn't nervous because I knew where we were going. Well, he was so Evan, you were so confident that yeah. it and helped. It, and we I had think a big body eased. of water right there that we yep, could just yep. keep following. And but that was one thing that I wish I would have done was just download the map because let's say for some reason you you have a heart attack and you break an ankle. Now it's up to me and and if I don't have that ability to get us back, like almost everyone in your hunting party should have it downloaded and know here's the plan. Like we talked through it when we landed, here's where we're going to go when we come mm-hmm. back. So that's why in my mind, I know where I need to go. I still was confident in the direction I was going, even though the fog had set in. Um, so I didn't panic at all, but I can see how you quickly could. And you mentioned a hunter up here that disappeared. like August 27th. August 27th. And, and we are September 8th. 8th. Yeah. So... Any word on that guy? I just looked it up yesterday, and they, they haven't found any sign of him. Alaska's trying to kill you. Yeah. All the time. Um, the other thing, too, that I want to touch on, that it's like one of the most basic 
survival or camping, hiking things is tell someone where you're going and when to expect to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's so many guys that I know that don't do that. And I just like, I've never had anything bad happen about it, but I'm, it's, I feel like it's just such a good idea. Cause like, like, like my dad knew even without the inreach knew exactly where we were going, what the plan was, where we were going to go, the route we were going to take and when to start to worry. And I think more people need to take that seriously. Yeah, every time I go somewhere, my wife wants me to text her right before I leave. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm going, and I'm hoping to be back by dark. If we would have had to stay out there overnight, what was your game plan? Uh, find the biggest, thickest pine tree we could hide under mm-hmm. and uh, snuggle up together, <laughs> get real cozy. Yeah, I mean, because we're wet. I mean... Down low, I was looking when we were waiting to get through the construction. It was forty-eight degrees out. That's and only, raining. And rain. That's only Steady. sixteen degrees higher than freezing. That's that's like the stuff. Like, and that's down yeah. low. Yep. And so up on top, it would have been colder than that. And Hypothermia is so quick. And it wet. I mean, we were wet just from sweat. You know, mm-hmm. just think about trying to stay Moisture. warm, walking from the car to the restaurant. So that's why these packs come in so they're so important don't overlook any details when you're going on an extreme adventure because you don't want to be unprepared right you know the lighter obviously important headlamp, headlamp in the pack yeah that's important an extra battery maybe extra but ba- yeah exactly but um, what, what it does is um when you're prepared both ha- having what you need and then physically prepared you can enjoy the hunt and it's really fun because you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. You've got it all prepared. And then when something happens, then you can utilize it. But it helps you to have fun and enjoy the time while you're up there. It sounds strenuous. Obviously, it is. There's a physical demand to reach where you're going. But I would also ex- uh, encourage people to go at your pace. Set a pace and just go slow because you'll get there eventually if you race, all of a sudden you just are so you can wipe yourself out. You're you're smiling. Yeah. So I, I don't even know where I got this from, but I I call it I call it the the misery meter. Everybody has one, and inside this misery meter, there's a point of no return. If you cross that threshold, I, I, whether you call it at the hundred percent mark or at the seventy percent mark, whatever you will get so miserable and everybody's been in this position. You get so miserable. You cannot recover and enjoy your time. Um, you could sit there for two hours, but once you start moving again, you're going to feel terrible. It's, and it's the worst feeling in the world. Cause you just have no energy. You can't move. You're probably dehydrated, probably hungry, but you can't keep food down. You're just not having a good time. And if you can stay below that magic line, you can sit down for 20 minutes and pop back up and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. So what we like to say is don't max out your misery meter before we start hunting. Yep. Yeah. And that way you can enjoy the hunt and and do well cuz if you max out your misery meter before you even start hunting, then you're not going to have fun and you're out there and you're just miserable. I, I know it sounds like kind of cheesy, but like it is it is the most true thing I've ever had and and we I mean on opening day we were both like we both crossed it. Like we were the hike out was just the most I was so miserable on the hike out. And what's, but what's nice though is Eric was throwing up. Yeah. You were miserable. Yeah. We couldn't eat anything because we we, were, our stomachs were queasy and we tried to choke down some food and just didn't happen. So my, my, uh, um, advice too, and 
I'm not saying I do what you guys do or even close to mm-hmm. it regularly, but when we're out in the field, there's it's common to put on 15 miles, 10, mm-hmm. 12, 15 miles, or even more. I think I've done over 20 before. My feet, you know, just it's a long day. I'm always, always drinking water, always eating a little bit here, a little bit here. I'm keeping my body ahead of anything yes. that could come because by the time that migraine sets in because you didn't drink enough, now you're miserable. So stay ahead of it. I'm always telling everyone that I'm with, drink more water. Hey, drink some water. Stop. Drink some, I, I, just no, I noticed that yesterday. Yeah. But it's, oh, it's so important because absolutely. it keeps you going before it's too late. That's the other thing we add in our packs is uh, electrolytes or electrolyte tablets, any form of way to get those things What's back. What's that in. stuff you were you- Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I found this stuff. It's Wilderness Athlete Hydrate and Recover. Yeah. And it's got, I don't know, what the guy that found it and showed it to me, he was like, hey, this is supposed to help with muscle cramps because I was telling, it was on that caribou hunt that I was telling you about that we saw all the ptarmigan. Um, I was just on a, my own caribou hunt right before that and lifting your legs over, there's these huge, balls of tundra up there and i was getting um lifting my legs over them kind of like going through the um cattails yeah and you're lifting your legs i was starting to get cramps in my legs and it says right on the bottle of this hydrate and cover stuff combats muscle cramps and i went into the store to grab some and my buddy who was also going to the air service he's like goes to the aisle right there i didn't even know he was there and i'm like oh you're gonna get some of that stuff he's like yeah i heard it's really good so we tried it i didn't get a muscle cramp the whole time we were hauling out his caribou i'm like okay this stuff must work because i was just getting them really performance enhancing hunting drugs yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i called the company i'm like what is in this that makes that go away what they say like is it just electrolytes and they said well it's all the electrolytes you need would help you get that you know what you need to not have muscle cramps, but there's branch chain amino acids. You've probably seen it, BCAAs. And that's what helps get the acid, the bad acid out of your muscles, which is causing the um, cramp. And so I started using that. And like anytime I would go on a a mountain hunt um, when I was first starting them and I'd be kind of sore afterwards, I'd take, drink it, like mix it with a, a liter of water, go hunting, come back, and I wasn't as sore the next day, which is really nice. Um, I'm in a, as good enough shape now where I don't have to take it like every Listen time I go. What a peacock strutting over there. No, right? no, yeah. no. <laughs> I just don't want to have to drink that stuff all the time, right? Yeah. you know, and rely on it. But I brought the little trail packs with me. Mm-hmm. And then like on opening day, for some reason, I got this huge cramp in both legs before like we weren't even halfway done. And Bro, we were like a quarter of the way done. So... I didn't even have that much water with me because I take my life straw thing and you can't suck that stuff through the life also, straw. Water filters in the pack. Yeah. Bring a yes. water filter. So 100%. we had, we had, it's called life straws. I life ordered straw, some yeah. before we came up here it's and the way you to just go. put it in like a camelback or, a or an algae, an algae bottle. And yeah, so the water's flowing. It, it, the last time I was in Alaska, we didn't have that and I didn't have any issues. We were high enough up where we were that he said it's it's okay to drink it right out of the stream. Um, but obviously having the life straws here, uh, no issues yesterday. I hope we don't have any issues moving forward. But there's a lot of moving water coming down the mountains, plenty yep. of places to fill the bottle and fill it often. But that's a huge, huge tip for anybody, you know, 
just to be safe, it's just this little tube that goes in. It attaches to the top, and you just suck through that, and uh, it cleans anything out. Because you've had uh, what is it called? Giardia. Giardia. What's that like? Uh, not good. <laughs> yeah. Describe well, what's it. what's interesting is. I, I got this me. new hunting vest, and yeah. it's just like Evan yesterday. He wanted to take it out. He was yeah. excited. So I'm like, I got to figure out how to use this vest. It's like just going to sit at home. So I decided to use it, and I was like, Evan, you got your water filter, right? And he's like, yeah, no problem. I got one. And so I'm like, okay, I won't bring mine then. And so <laughs> we get up there, and well, it's not technically a water filter. It's a Steri pen which relies on battery and you put it in your bottle and it's UV light that kills yep, I've heard of those. The parasites in there. And so he does his water bottle first and then he goes to do mine. He's like, oh no, the battery died. It got like halfway through. It got like halfway through. But then we, I only just brought this one liter. Yeah, good friend of always Nalgene. does theirs first, by the way. Well, he wasn't expecting, you know, <laughs> right, right. battery to die. So yeah. I'm like, what are the odds of me getting Giardia the first time I ever drink unfiltered water? You know, it's yeah. probably pretty slim. Like we went on this moose hunt one time and there's some other guys out there. They're just putting their water right into the stream where the the moose were walking through and they're drinking it without filtering. Like they probably don't get Giardia. So, so I probably the, won't get it. The lapse of judgment on our part was <laughs> this was a about an 18 mile day for us. And we were about to start our hike out and we pulled the water from a lake, a high mountain lake. And that was where the mistake happened because there's there was flowing water a hundred yards away. We were What's interesting is he drank the same water that I did, and he didn't get sick. It's because I eat so much gas station food. And then, <laughs> like eight days later, I was like, "What is wrong with me?" Oh, it took that long to kick it, in. It's, it takes seven to ten days to kick in. All right. Well, I and, don't know if then if I've made it. Well, you, you should be okay with the filter. Yeah. It, it. I mean, you can't get it through that it's too big the parasite is and so i had to go i mean there's varying cases of it but like they call it beaver fever you know and i had this huge fever i'm like what is wrong with me and uh it was coming out both ends oh no and uh couldn't keep anything down i was supposed <laughs> to be going on this backcountry hunt in a week and so the the doctor prescribed the antibiotic to just kill it really fast and boom initially kills it off so that you can like actually live Function. a normal life without how running in the bathroom it, all the time. How long does it last to take its course? So the antibiotic lasts seven days after you take this one big pill that's supposed to like keep it at bay. Mm -hmm. And then um, the seven days is supposed to keep killing it because I think it can kind of like, I don't know if it reproduces in there. I'd have, I'd have to research that. But the the seventh day I was feeling great we flew out on the hunt and then it relapsed for like three days while we were out hunting oh. and it was pretty miserable. But, and then I was fine. Alaska's trying to kill you. Mm -hmm. That's a theme. I get it. Uh, boots are a big deal. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. Yep. Uh, probably the most important thing that you're going to bring. And I think people so. ask regularly, what kind of boots do you wear? Uh, I'm just going to ask you two. What do you, you each have a different boot. Yeah. We have different brands of boot. They're the same Realistically, the same boot. They're a mountain boot. I have the Kenetrek um, guide, mountain guide boot. And uh, you got to have something with a rock guard on there around the the leather. You're going to just trash your leather boots. And then 
I have the crispy. I think they're the guide GTXs or the. I don't think that. I think the hunters are the taller ones. Yours it's are warm. uninsulated. Yours are insulated. Mine are mine are insulated. Yours are insulated too. But I, I think yours is two hundred gram, right? I don't know that off the top of my head. Mine are four hundred gram, and I'm finding. I, I really just didn't want to spend the money on two pairs of boots. Expensive, yeah. And uh, we do a lot of winter hunting, and like it's pretty cold out, even though you're moving. And so I wanted some insulation, mm-hmm. but I'm finding on these uh, early season hunts, it's just not cutting it. So and I finally did, got a pair of uninsulated. But you haven't broken them in, so, no, yesterday so I can't were, use them. Yeah, yesterday you didn't wear them. Um, it takes a, the break-in period. I I've talked to uh, you know when when I'm planning these hunts, I try to go through the details like we we've been in touch for a couple of weeks talking about gear and things and even my boots are you know they've been up and down mountains for a couple of seasons they're not my normal you know upland boot they're like a extreme hiking boot by irish setter um but i think i'm going to order one of the ones that you guys have for these yeah and i want to make sure that other people that are coming with have it too that's a huge thing We've talked about it on previous podcasts, and we've had cameramen joining us that have not been prepared. And I told them, like, you got to have a good pair of boots. Are your boots broken in? You know, and before you come on these kind of adventures, it's, it is important to break them in so you can enjoy the experience because that's your feet are everything out here. Right. And you, you got to have, it's like three different things. You got to have the right height boot as well. You got to make sure it's ankle know, support. An, yeah ankle support there and then you have the right sock system whatever works best for you whether it's a liner and then a, a second sock which does two things it helps wick the moisture right off your feet so that like you're not getting the pruny feet like you my, feel like you've got the right system yeah now. it's what taken it? a little bit because i was just wearing a merino wool sock uh-huh. but then um like it's not necessarily wicking all of the moisture totally out of the sock so uh, a lot of people Like I remember growing up, we would wear polypropylene liners underneath these really thin kind of like silk feeling liners. But the problem was those, like my actual sock over that would slide around like crazy and then I'd get blisters because it was, you know, crunching up. Mm -hmm. So I finally found these Kenetrek liners that the sock does not move. It's rock solid and it's got like a little bit of padding where you need it, like on the ball of your foot and then your heel. And so um, it keeps that, that sock right where you need it, and it's the perfect system for me. He's got a little bit different system Yeah, I, I use the, the cheap toe sock liners that he doesn't like, and then um, I wear... It's funny that he, you know... Yeah, because it works differently. You don't like it, so it's per it, person. It, yeah, it, you just got to do what works for you, but then I wear, I wear merino wool socks, but then I found that I think one of my feet is like slightly bigger than the others. <laughs> so on the, sli- on the smaller foot, it, the way it sits in my boot just rubs a little funny. So I haven't gotten blisters yet, but I'll get hot spots. So I added an extra just normal sport sock in the middle. And that just that little extra padding has a uh, little extra padding has made it so much better. And um, I want to try, I want to try his system though with those kinetic trick padded padded socks. Yeah. The third thing is gaiters. <laughs> yeah. So with those three things, the height, the socks, and the gaiters, you can cross those creeks without getting your feet wet. Because if you get your feet wet back there, you're in a ton of trouble. Like yeah. you're gonna you're going to get hot spots. You're going to, your feet are going to get wet and then get ripped apart, get blisters. 
Yeah, with those gators, you can, you can cross knee-deep water with them. Like, as long as you're quick. If you sit in there for too long, right, the water can come soak up. They can come, well, it can come up the gator and then down the boot. But if you just take one step, two steps, and you're out, like, yeah. you can cross anything. And then, I mean, our, I don't know if you saw the, probably the bottom of your pants, too, were probably bone dry. They were. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. amazing. It really is. And we crossed mm, a dozen times we walked through water yesterday through yep. uh, small streams that were... You know, some weren't that shallow. Yeah, I mean, they were probably eight inches deep, ten inches deep in a mm-hmm. couple spots. So uh, deep enough that the gators definitely uh, played a part in keeping us dry. So it's you know it's it's a whole system, and obviously you learn what works for you. But you, it does make sense to do some research. There's people that do these big game hunts in the mountains, bird hunts in the mountains, like you guys do, that have done it long enough and. The hope is that you can trust them when they're giving you the advice. Take that advice. It probably costs a little bit more money than the other gear that you're used to buying where you don't need that next level. But when you take the time to go on an adventure, the money, the time away from your family, from work, whatever it might be, a little bit of extra on top of it to make sure your gear is set will help you enjoy that experience. Um, I hope that helps people grasp just the extent that you guys go through preparing for the hunt. Um, the reality is up here, there are three different ptarmigan species and we're already hour and 10 minutes into this conversation. So we'll try to wrap it up here shortly, but three different ptarmigan species, rock, willow, and white-tailed ptarmigan. Now they're in different habitats. Um, and like you said yesterday, when we thought we found a rock ptarmigan, it's like, is that where they are? And you go, they are where you find them. Exactly. Um, you know, give people kind of an idea of what to look for when you're ptarmigan hunting in Alaska. And you, you can, you don't have to be too in-depth, but, you know, like kind of help grasp what we're looking for. We're not walking through the forest here. Right. So all ptarmigan species live for the most part above tree line um they kind of dip down into the spruce trees as snow comes but for the most part above tree line and they, then, they all migrate vertically a lot more than horizontally if when that makes it snows sense. when yeah. it snows yeah and so they'll utilize spruce trees in the winter for sure but so you're looking above tree line so the first that you come across are willow ptarmigan and they're our state bird. They live in the willows. They're the most abundant. They're right? the most abundant, yeah. And so what you're looking for is the right habitat. It's not necessary that you find a certain elevation. Uh, we have like our magic number for certain areas, uh, certain elevation. But like as you are in Alaska, the, as the latitude changes, mm-hmm. the elevation where that habitat is, is lower. So yeah. like... In Prudhoe Bay, they're at sea level. Here, they may be at 3,000 feet. They might be at 2,000 feet, just wherever the right habitat is where those willows are. And they don't necessarily use that as a food source like in the fall. They can, but it's hiding cover. And then in the winter, they use that as a food source. They eat the willow buds. Yeah, right now, I mean, the amount of food on the tundra is... Tons of berries. Unbelievable. I mean, it's every every step you take, you're stepping on potential. What were in the crops of those birds that you cleaned yesterday? I haven't cleaned them yet. No, no, no. The, while we were hunting. The ones oh, that we ate. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, we were talking about that, taking them out 
but when we shot the first one because I when we were yeah I was like what are they eating out here I want to know more about this bird yeah well I mean we've we've shot birds in the same covey before they've had three different things in their crops it's really interesting berries leafy greens like what's interesting is some like the birds tend to like certain things like this bird will have all leafy greens yeah indiv- this bird will have individual all berries. It's yeah. like they just like a little variety in their life. Well, we laughed about it too. Is said, well, if you if you wouldn't want to eat the same thing every day either. <laughs> so can you blame bla- them? If they're those blueberries, maybe I would. Those blueberries yeah. are delicious. <laughs> the high, what are they called? The high? High bush blueberries. High bush blueberries. Uh, high bush and low bush. Yeah. Yes. yeah, we saw high bush blueberries, low bush blueberries, lingonberries, and then there's crowberries crow everywhere. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff growing yeah. that you don't want to eat up here too. So then like this, well... I think there's parts of the state where rock ptarmigan are more pop, like there's more birds. There's more abundant. More abundant rock ptarmigan than in the mountains that we hunt. Um, but you can find, sometimes you can find rock ptarmigan lower than white-tailed ptarmigan, and sometimes you can find white-tailed ptarmigan They are where you find lower. them. They are where I find them. So we find more white-tailed ptarmigan than we do rock ptarmigan here where we hunt. Um, and they, they live in the rocks, um, by lakes. We've found them a lot water. They tend to really be associated with water. What's interesting is yesterday we find those rock ptarmigan, right? Not rock ptarmigan, white-tailed ptarmigan in the rocks where you would think to find them, but they were like within 15 yards of willow ptarmigan, Mm -hmm. which is pretty interesting. The most epic, uh, coveys of upland birds I think I've ever seen continued for 30 minutes. And then all of a sudden we're like, there's some whitetails and they're running up the scree and I'm trying to get them. You try to throw a rock at them. The worst throw I've ever seen. This, yeah. clip, hit me. this clip is going to be hilarious. <laughs> it's on TV. I'm not exactly sure what happened. <laughs> I don't know. I was but like, hold on. You throw I'm gonna, like a girl. <laughs> I'm going to try to get him to flush. Let me make a flushing sound. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened. I'll throw a rock. Yeah. And then I don't know what happened, but I was about a foot away from hitting you. Just you were maybe closer than back. that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe closer than that. I'm at a 70-degree angle hiking up, and all the rocks are slipping. And I'm trying to get to them as they're running up the cliff. And I can see one that already went over. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm running out of time. Pete's down below 80 yards or something like that. And we're you're behind me, and I'm running up. I say running. I'm barely moving, but I'm trying <laughs> it my hardest. Like it feels running. like I'm running. Every step I took, I come a half a step back because the rocks were slipping out from under me. And then all of a sudden, here comes this rock over my shoulder. I finally get it. one right in there, perfect. And the bird doesn't even move. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, oh, okay, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, they're gonna get over this ridge and they're not gonna fly. And I, I have to get up there to them. And they just, they're like, oh yeah, keep coming. You're, you're you know, like. Uh, classic whitetails i will let it you'll have to see how it plays out exactly um but uh rock ptarmigan and willow or rock ptarmigan and whitetails are more associated with the rocks yeah stuff that looks like the moon is what i've described it like you look at Mm -hmm. those that rocky area or you know when we got on that knife edge and we look down at those like glacial ponds Mm -hmm. and it's just like all rocks and they just eat the little lichens off the rocks and there's water nearby and something that looks like the moon, you're probably in whitetail country. Mm. And they blend in so well. Yeah, and it's it, the respect level for those birds, where they live, how they live. Uh, you know, looking at the sheep that were watching us, like they were on this cliff, and I remember thinking, like, how do they make a living there on the side of this cliff? Like, it's just 
And we, I remember asking you, Evan, if you wanted to put a sneak on those, what, like, where do we start? You know, how would you even get there? So my appreciation. Oh, they had us sh- pinned from 1,500 yards away. They knew yeah. We were oh, there. yeah. They were watching us. They're like, <laughs> bird yeah. hunters, idiots. Um, but if you're trying to hunt for those creatures up there on those steep, steep, rocky slopes, I mean, kudos to you. <laughs> I mean, I get the I get the the peel behind it, but what a journey to get there. So you saw so the the white tail you shot, um, the retrieve that Junie made on it. Yeah, you can see why you need to be very cautious about where you take your dog, because when they fixate on a bird, I don't. I mean, I don't care if it's the best field trialing dog in the world. When that dog's going to make that retrieve, he's going to go full bore to get that thing and there might be a cliff right below him and so i mean junie does this thing when she makes a mistake and she jumps off of something that she shouldn't where she'll be like squealing in the air and i knew she she started doing that while chasing that bird because it was it was crippled and i mean not to give too much away but um you just it's just another part of the aspect of the hunt that you just have to be super careful about like there's areas where we will like leash the dogs because we do not want them going anywhere Mm -hmm. and there's areas that we've realized we shouldn't probably go either yep well, I think we'll leave it at that for this conversation today. I think the experience, um, it's in de- like it is next level. It is incredible up here. It's an opportunity that I'm grateful that I have had the opportunity to just be in that hunt with you guys for a day. I'm excited for the next couple. Who knows what we're going to come away with. One day so far in this bush country has been remarkable. You know, and as Bob Ladd has said, you guys saw everything in Alaska in one day, you know, and the good, the bad, the ugly, and the ter- not, we, we haven't seen it all, I guess, probably, but we've seen a lot already. Um, you guys live it all the time. People can follow you on social media, on Instagram. You're Evan underscore Withrow, I think. Yep, and you're Alaska bird hunter, Derek. Yep. Um, you know, there, there's, I would say this is big game country up here. You guys say, you know, there's very few bird hunters because there's so much to do. Like you mentioned, the fishing is world-class. The big game hunting is world-class, but the bird hunting up here is world-class too. You know, and your buddy is out waterfall hunting right now. Mm -hmm. We're going to go meet up with them shortly. I'm excited about our next adventure. We'll leave it at that. Uh, We hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation. And as I mentioned off the top, uh, we're going to be having a live show and we'd love for you to join us uh, at the Bear Cave Brewing. There will be no bears there <laughs> like here in Alaska. I wish you two would come down and join us so people could meet you and hear your stories. It's, it's awesome. It's just a real privilege for me to be able to be here with you guys. So thank you for allowing us to get a glimpse into your life and the bird hunting opportunities that are here. And I think people will enjoy it when they get to watch it too. At least that's my hope. You're I'm welcome. so stoked to see the footage, man. That's going to be great. There <laughs> yeah. are some really cool times. Yeah, Pete. Uh, God bless Pete and the dogs. God bless Pete and the dogs. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We'll leave it at that. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. 